Adventures here on KPCALP in Petaluma, California on 103.3 FM. It's 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Today is January 20th. Do you know what today is, ladies and gentlemen? Today is my cousin Joni's birthday. Happy birthday, cousin Joni. Of all the people that I know in the world, for some reason, I still remember cousin Joni's birthday, where I have forgotten almost everybody else's birthday. So, a word to you, cousin Joni, and happiest of birthdays. What are we going to do today, you guys? Well, let's get some story music so I can start to tell you all about what's happening today on our Benedettiville Small Town Adventure Radio Hour. To get that story music, we're going to have to go and kick gently and politely our narcoleptic producer, Dave, so that he wakes up and puts on the story music. Dave, come on, man. Wake up, buddy. Story music, man. Like always. Ah. Story music. Ladies and gentlemen, it's January 20th. There's one more Sunday in January, and that will be Benedettiville Small Town Adventures last Sunday on the air here at KPCA-LP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. After that, we'll be on to other things. We'll be uh, up to other shenanigans. We'll still have our live show. We'll do some podcasts, but we will no longer have a weekly hour radio show on the air. Thanks so much for for having joined us. Next week will be our last week. It'll kind of be a best of and favorites of, I believe, type of show. But that's next week. Hey, you want to know some other Benedettiville news? Yeah, Jim, we really do. Okay, settle down. My goodness gracious. Uh, I would like to tell you that there is going to be a fundraiser for a music education organization called Play It Forward, and that is going to take place on February the 9th at the Arlene Francis Center in Santa Rosa. Benedettiville will be one of the performers there, and I believe that it is free at the door or pay what you want to uh, in order to support music for, um, what do they do? They, uh, they get musical instruments, and they... Uh, give them to young and prospective and hopeful musicians, and they provide music lessons for kids, which I think pretty wonderful. On Monday, February 25th, here in our very own Petaluma, the Friends of a Schollenberger Park are going to be having a little fundraiser. And Benedettiville will be there too. So, maybe we'll see you around and about in the month of February. And we'll have uh, a weekly podcast as well. So you can always check that out at benedettiville.com. Benedettiville.com. Hey, Geo, I can hear you asking me. Because over the years, I have uh, developed um, radio wave telepathy, so I know what you're thinking out there, even when I cannot hear you. And what I can tell is you're wondering how to spell Benedettiville. And the cool thing is that Jenny came up with a way to remember how to spell Benedetto. It's a song. You ready for it? B-E-N-E-D-E-T-T-I-V-I-L-L-E. Wasn't that groovy? How do you spell Benedetto? Oh, it goes like this. B-E-N-E-D-E-T-T-I-V-I-L-L-E. Now, you don't have to do the snaps or the claps if you don't want to, but they're really fun. So, Benedettiville.com, and you'll find all sorts of info and stuff and whatever else. Ooh, ooh, one other piece of fun Benedettiville news before we get on to the rest of the show. 
and it is this. Last Tuesday, I got to go and visit a school out in Grayton, in Grayton, California. It was a classroom full of third graders. They were some of the coolest kids I've ever seen and met and hung out with in my life, let me tell you. They were so groovy. The school is called Oak Grove School out in Grayton. And these kids, let me tell you, if you guys need some dragon drawers, if anybody out there is thinking that they need some dragons to be drawn, but they don't have um, they don't have a dragon drawer in the house, maybe they're a little afraid to get their feet wet in the dragon drawing world, I know a third grade class that is pretty much grand masters of dragon drawing. And I met him on Tuesday. So this is a big shout out to Oak Grove School and all those rad third graders and Miss Heil for having me. Thanks for having me out there. We got to sing and play and goof around. That's a pretty good way to spend a Tuesday afternoon. That's a good thing to do if you're stuck inside. Oh my goodness. Hey, Dave, I just said uh, things to do when you're stuck inside. Can you give me a little musical sting? Do you have that ready to go? Yeah, I'm not on the program today. Hey, come on, man. You're a producer. You're supposed to, like, be on the ball. Give me a things to do. One thing to do when you're stuck inside is go to Oak Grove School and hang out with Miss Hiles' third grade class and draw dragons. Okay, that was super fun. Dave, we were really getting, we're getting our patter down, man. We're getting some uh, rhythm. That's nice. You're doing good over there, buddy. We're going to miss you when we leave this weekly radio show. You going to be all right? Oh, I'll be fine, man. Don't cry, Dave. It'll be okay. We'll still visit. All right, so for the show today, we have all kinds of to-be-continued threads that we have left, and we need to tie them up because the last thing we want to do leave this radio show because we're in story jail. I'm all done with story jail, ladies and gentlemen. Last week, we had Admiral Snack Bar Part 1. We're going to bring you Admiral Snack Bar Part 2, the conclusion this week. Last week, Blue and Rocco told you one of their tour stories. This week, they're going to tell you another one. And, of course, we have been doing um, The Adventures of Chevrolet Glitterwing, Half Fairy, and The Amazing Library Mystery. And we should conclude that this week. How's that for tidying up the old loose ends there? But first, of course, we're going to have to do a little bit of sponsorship. These things don't pay for themselves, ladies and gentlemen. Luckily, we've got some wonderful and thoughtful sponsors. And we're going to play that now. Hope you enjoy this word. Dad, has this ever happened to you? You wake up in the morning? Well, you might just want to check out coffee. It's just the thing to start the day off right. What's that? It's almost noon. 
try some coffee to keep that pep in your step. Have you ever been awake right around 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Well, that's as good a time as any for coffee. In fact, have you ever been walking around your house, neighborhood, or workplace with empty, cold hands while sleepy? Well, shucks, that's also a fine time and reason to pour a cup of coffee. Coffee. Always, anytime, and all the time. Darkness of space, the backdrop of stars, an interview comes a large, smoking, sputtering spaceship, and it's a space delicatessen of Admiral Snackman. Admiral Snackbar and the crew had been hired to provide snacks for the Gromulans for the giant space hockey tournament. Their shipment of cheddar cheese was late, and that forced them to find a new snack they decided on croutons. But the croutons were stolen by a snack thief. The snack thief left in escape pod number seven, and the crew, even now, is hot on the train, eager to reclaim their lost croutons, and eager to feed the Gromulans because... As everyone in the galaxy knows, a hungry Gromulan is a dangerous Gromulan. Computer! Yes? Have you located Escape Pod 7 yet? Yes. Well, where is it? It is on an unknown planet. Unknown? Aren't you a computer? Yes. Mm. Tabasco! There's something you should see here, sir. This planet is shaped like a giant cheeseburger. It looks delicious. Computer? Yes? Land us as close as you can to escape pod 7 and on the double because we need to recover those croutons. The space delicatessen lands on the mysterious and unknown hamburger planet. The landscape is desolate and barren, broken here and there by groups of huts made from the surrounding rocks. Tabasco! Sir. I need you and Pimps to go out there, locate Escape Pod 7, bring back the Escape Pod, and as many croutons as you can. Immediately, sir. Pimps, come with me. Why does this always have to be me? Uh, we're going to go find this Escape Pod. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, we're going to stay here and try to get some customers. Okay. Let's start preparing some snacks and uh, broadcasting the intergalactic delicatessen signal. While the crew on board the space delicatessen searched for a life in the form of customers, Tabasco and Peps searched for a life of a different kind, namely snack thieves in Escape Pod 7 with a cargo full of croutons. There's clearly intelligent life here. I'm not sure if they're friendly or not, though. Keep a lookout. In time, they stumble upon the mysterious and very much abandoned and empty Escape Pod 7. 
Tabasco! Here, sir. What's going on? The escape pod appears to have been abandoned. We don't see any tracks. We're not sure if the thief escaped. Are there any croutons? The croutons are gone, too. Uh, well, then the escape pod's out here on a double. The mysterious snack thief seems to have escaped. This time. And so Tabasco and Peps are soon in Escape Pod 7, flying back to the space delicatessen, thanks to the handy mechanical repair work of Peps. Back on the delicatessen, it is a scene of worry and consternation. How to satisfy the hungry rum. Make whatever you can! All right, sir. Hurry, I've just received reports that there's rioting down on Gromulan galaxies. You've seen what happens to Gromulans when they run out of food. It's not a pretty sight. Warning! Detected incoming Gromulan ship! This is Commander Slack of the Gromulan Empire. We have come for well sandwiches. Yes, we have. We're very hungry. Delicatessen for a well-deserved rest and a snack. Where will their adventures take them next? What has become of the mysterious snack thief? Find out on the further adventures of Admiral Snack. Oh, I love Admiral Snack Bar. 
And that's kind of mean that the narrator at the end of that says, oh, further adventures. Those are the only adventures of Admiral Snackbar we ever recorded over an entire year. And that was way back in, I think, February or March that we got Admiral Snackbar up and running. So maybe in the future on the podcast, Admiral Snackbar can make an appearance. I'm not sure. I'm not making no promises because if there's one thing that the story police have taught me, it is to make no promises or you end up in story jail. Um, <laughs> it's about continuing stories. Well, that the cast there, ladies and gentlemen, for Admiral Snackbar was my brother Mike, my sister-in-law Julia, and their wonderful children Dante and Marina, and also Valentino and Nico. And guest appearances by yours truly and Emmeline Benedetti. A giant cast of Benedettis there to make Admiral Snackbar come to life. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, I wonder what Blue and Rocco get up to when they're out on tour. Luckily, I don't have to tell you because they're here to tell you themselves. Blue and Rocco, take it away, my buddies. Alton, I love this job. Hey, Blue! Blue, dude, you gotta come check us out with me, bro. What you got going out here, Rocco? Oh, yeah, man. Some of the old jams. You remember this? Of course I remember this jam, man. Of course. That's like the best drum intro in funk jam. Yeah, dude, that drum intro from old Bruce is like top notch, man. Oh, yeah, and we ain't nothing to sneeze at either, man. I love the way that just chilly little keyboard right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, well, like, uh... Too. So every time this jam comes out, you you know what I'm thinking about, right? Oh, how could I forget? It was an epic battle, was it not, man? <laughs> oh, dude, absolutely. How did we even get involved in that battle of the bands? I can't stand battles of bands, you know? Like, dude, let's, like, hang out and get together, right? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm all about, too, but, like... Yeah, they just set you up to, like, fight each other. But with music, yeah, it makes no sense, man. Yeah, so, like, a, a battle of the bands, and, like, there we are. And uh, what were some of the other bands on that list? I, the only ones I can remember were uh, Thunderwave. They were, oh, like, yeah. kind of a hard rock outfit. They, and then uh, there was uh, Rainbow Explosion. Rainbow. That band was, like, super positive, but um, they, yeah, they like, good. never really rehearsed. So, like, yeah. they, it wasn't, like, the best performance, you know? It was that other. Ba- you remember that band, uh, the Truffle Hunters? Yeah, oh, dude, were, the Truffle weird, Hunters, man. They all came out in like chef outfits, and they they had a pig with them. Yeah, they really got into the name. I I think their music was uh, very strange. Well, yeah. Oh, dude. And then there was us, you know. And, I don't uh, even remember what we were called when we wrote this. I one. believe that at this point in our career, we had settled on the three Funkskateers. Oh, no way, dude. Which was a pretty dynamite name, yeah. in my humble opinion. I guess so. Okay, right. And then we show up to Battle of the Bands, and who oh, should be no, there? Man. Yeah, but Bartholomew Higgins and his funk oh. locomotive. No, like... You know, I'm like, I'm all down for anybody and everybody. Let's make music together. But old Barthy, man. Yeah, Barthy was the worst, man. He was a bad ass. He was a pretty mean guy. I don't have a lot of bad things to say about people, but I certainly got nothing good to say about Barthy, man. But, like, all the way back to, like, grade school, dude, he would, like, steal my dessert from my lunches, and then he would just, like, push me and stuff. 
He like had a mean streak, old Barthy. Oh did. man, I remember one time I was out just walking my dog, and just uh, I didn't know I was going by Barthy's house, but I was. Well, it was winter time, man, no. and he just full out sprayed me with the hose. Get out, freezing cold. My dog was cold. By the time I got home, man, I had icicles dripping off oh. my my hand <laughs> and on my beard. I was so cold, I had to sit in a warm bath for like two hours to warm up, man. Oh. It was. It was not nice. Yeah, his funk locomotive was not much better. It was like he didn't get so much like musicians to hire for his band as he got like uh, convicted felons and just overall bad dids, you know? I remember like walking backstage and like loading in our stuff, and I think they just like growled or something. Like, oh man, I, Bruce was coming in with a big like arm full of drums, right? Couldn't see where he was going. One of those dudes just stuck out his foot and tripped a oh, man's cymbals, banging right. around all over the place. Not cool. But you know, Bruce, man, he keeps his cool. He just looked around and just went, hmm. It put it all back together. But yeah, man, not nice guy. Sure. Okay. And then like Barthy says. Uh, you know, in his, like, uh, sneery little voice, he's like, Hey, guys, so, like, how about we put a friendly wager on this, you know? And, uh, we were like, no, dude, it's just like a silly battle of the bands. We just want to play music, you know? And he's like, what are you, chicken? We're like, dude, come off of it. But then his, like, burly bandmates from the funky locomotive, like, come up to us and stare us down and start, like, you know, you know, like, uh, when they pound the fist into the hand, you know, how that's, like, the scary thing, like, uh uh-oh, I don't want that to be me, you know? Yeah, so he's like, why don't we wager on this? Loser never plays music in this town again. You know what I mean? And we're like, oh. And these funky locomotive goons just like loom over us. Like, what what are we going to do? Like, we're either going to like get demolished or we agree to the wager. But Barthy wasn't the kind of dude to play it fair, you know? Oh, man, you knew he was going to cheat. You just didn't know how. Right. (laughs) Like, uh... Uh, so there we are. We're like getting ready to go on stage, and all of a sudden, I look at my bass. Tip. There's like only one string on it, and somebody has carved into the face of my bass, like right there on the body through the paint. They've carved, "You are lame." Like oh, who man. would do that? God, <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly who would do that, dude? You remember what they did to my keyboard, dude? Somebody had taken like a hot glue gun and they had just sprayed it all over my old keyboard on all the keys, man. I could only get like 10 or 12 of them to even move, man. They was all stuck together. I couldn't even believe it turned on. I was so happy it even worked. But holy cow, man, how is I going to play on that keyboard? That's crazy. Oh, yeah, man. And like, how are you going to get like hot glue off of your keyboard? <laughs> Am I right? Do you remember what they did to old Brucey's drums? Oh, yeah, Brucey was not safe from the cheap right. ways of art. Like, he's missing drums and stuff. And, uh, you know, old Brucey, he, uh, he keeps the mean poker face, you know? So he, like, he doesn't even, like, bat an eye. He just, like, looks around and walks out the door. We're like, dude, Brucey, what are we going to do? We're going on, bro. <laughs> we need your drums, And, uh, man. you know, but he just cruised right out. No problemo. And, um... We're about to go on, and what does he do? 
he comes back and he had like gone to some farmer or something and he came back with that cowbell. Talk about saving the day. He's always thinking that Brucey yeah. is. Yeah, so there he is with a cowbell and we're like, Brucey, what are you doing? Yeah, I've only it. got like one string, two strings on my bass. You've only got a few keys that work. And we're like, okay, all right, yeah. like what are we going to do? And Barthy's over there in the corner just laughing his mean little face off oh. and his goons are all like, hoo, 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 hoo. And we're like, oh, we're gonna start and so uh you know we just kick it in yeah, we do, you know man. there was only one key we could play in cause our instruments were so messed up <laughs> and you know uh, the drums board. were all goofed up but oh, yeah. dude we grooved it so hard. Like we always like, Remember do, like those mean old judges? Like we started a little late and then the judges were like looking and then Oh yeah. Bam! All of a sudden they're like out on the dance floor like cutting a rug. Yeah, you couldn't stop those guys, man. They were dancing harder than anybody on that dance floor. Yeah. Yo, dude, we we got so funky, and that part with the cowbell from old Brucey yeah. was like the funkiest yeah. thing that I've ever heard. So sick. He's the man, man. Brucey. Yeah, well, like when we won the trophy that night. Yeah. Old Barthy was so <laughs> mad. He couldn't believe it. He was so mad, and of course, because the security cameras had like seen everything, yeah, those goons got taken away, and you know. We didn't have any way to really enforce the crazy bet of, like, you'll never play music in this town again. Yeah, but right. um, they all got arrested. So <laughs> they literally did, never did play music in that yeah. town again. Yeah. It was, like, bad move for them, you know? Yeah, they never even, they were going on for their set, man. And uh, before they could even, like, get that for the note, uh, the police come up on stage. Oh, dude, I totally forgot. That's right, dude. Is this is part of their show or what? This is kind of weird. But then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, uh, they're all gone. Yeah, they got arrested, man. They're not playing. We all figured it out. Yeah. Oh, you remember how everybody cheated? Everybody was so Yeah, they were so stuck, man. taken away. They were real bad dudes. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I don't miss that guy. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's missing those guys, man. That's good riddance to bad Oh, man. Dude, I just love listening to these jams with you, Blue. Oh, yeah. Well, until next time, man. Yeah. I'll see you around. Yeah, I'll see you around, Rocco. Hey, thanks for bringing it back, and uh, we should let them get on to the next thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, they should definitely get on to the next thing. I hope the next thing's funky, though, you know? About as funky as that. Yeah. So long, Blue. So long, Rocco. On to the next thing. No, sorry, Blue and Rocco. The next thing is not that funky. It's just... I, nope, it isn't. That's just how it's going to be. But the next thing is a continuation of the story. Huh? Eh? We had gotten through Chapter 5 of Chevrolet Glitterwing in the library adventure. And I'm going to remind you all of what was going on. Chevrolet and Magnus, our two investigators, had been taken to the library by the head librarian, Mr. Hewell. And it was just revealed in Chapter 5 that Mr. Hewell had tried to dabble in magic, and somehow he had gotten a curse, or he had gotten a spell just super wrong, and some poor creature from Fairyland, who ended up being Hum Ardigan, one of the most powerful wizards, elvish wizards in all of the magical lands, had gotten trapped. And uh, it was this trapped elvish wizard that was leaving all of these very mysterious clues for Magnus 
and Chevrolet to find to try and free him from this library. And they had just found his spell book. They had just found the spell that would free him. And they were all going back to rest up for the big night when they would cast the spell. And now, this brings us to Chapter 6, Chevrolet Glitterwing and the Library Adventure. It begins like this. We will leave Mr. Hewell and Magnus for a while now and follow Miss Chevrolet Glitterwing. She now had a spell in her hand that would free the most powerful elvish wizard of Fairyland from a strange and unique curse that kept him in the library, and she needed to prepare in the most perfect and careful way. The list of ingredients had to be gathered, as did the tools and instruments for the spellcasting. She rushed home on her strange and her wondrous bike, sped into her shop, and she began to hunt for the things that the spell required. The ingredients? Well, she had moss from the back of a sleeping ripple. She had seeds from the first twig fruit of the summer. She even had a few pieces of metal carved from an old cooking pot used by the mice tribes from the southern deserts. Of all the strange and the rare ingredients that Hum Artigan needed for his spell of freedom, there was only one thing that Chevrolet Glitterway needed. She read the spell again. Oh, drat, she said. There was no avoiding it. The ingredient was going to be necessary for the spell. She would just have to go and get it. One whisker from a full-grown Lepteroth. Now, everyone in Fairyland knew that Lepteroths were not friendly. They were rude, crude, mischievous, stinky, messy. Overall, they were pretty nasty creatures. They looked like rats. But they were also about the size of a cow from our human lands. They could walk on two or four legs, and they loved to flop their big, ratty tails all about. Their bodies had rat-like fur, but their legs were just wrinkly, thick skin. They had all sorts of horns that grew out of their heads, some twisty like ram's horns, some had just one like a unicorn, some had tusks like a warthog, and they all looked rough, tough, and pretty ugly. The Lepteroth's whiskers were their pride enjoy. They would twist them into great mustaches, wind them into their beards, weave flowers and bones and twigs into them, scent them with oils and perfumes. Oh, yes, Lepteroths loved their whiskers. In fact, getting a full-grown Lepteroth's whisker would not be easy. Not easy at all. And Chevrolet had to get one before 11 p.m. No matter how much she didn't want to, she knew she had to get it done. And when something needed to get done, Chevrolet was not the type of person to dilly-dally. She grabbed her adventuring pack off the peg by the door and approached the large standing mirror in the corner of the shop in the back of Gus's junkyard. As a half-fairy, Chevrolet enjoyed privileges above and beyond any plain humans or any plain fairies. She had her very own fairy gate, a private one, all to herself. She reached out and touched the top of the wooden frame of the mirror, right in the middle of an intricate carving, and where her finger touched, sparks popped. The surface of the mirror stopped reflecting the cluttered shop. It clouded over for a moment, and then, through the mirror, a small cottage, green fields, a lush forest, and a distant city could be seen. Chevrolet took a deep breath, checked the straps of her adventuring pack, grabbed tight to her fairy wand, and stepped through the mirror. 
spring breeze of fairyland swept through Chevrolet's hair. The breezes of fairyland always had a sweeter smell, you know, a softer feel than our human land breezes and our winds. The birds were calling and wonderful smells were wafting from the cottage that stood right behind the ironwood fence and gardens before her. She went up and knocked on the door, and a very large, round, pink-winged fairy answered. She gasped with a great big smile on her warm, red face when she saw Chevrolet on the doorstep. Oh, Chevrolet! Oh, sweet child, why didn't you tell me you were coming? Come in, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in. The bread's still baking, and the stew won't be ready for an hour or so, but I have cheese and biscuits and fresh, ice-cold dewdrop sparkle water, the fairy woman said as she hugged and hugged and pulled a happy Chevrolet inside. Thanks so much, Auntie Sorga, but I really can't stay or tarry at all here. Chevrolet finally managed after her aunt had sat her down in a chair and placed a cool glass of dewdrop sparkle water in her hand. Oh, are you on another one of your cases then? Didn't you learn your lesson after getting mixed up in all that awful eel wicked Malik stuff? Aunt Sorga said, disappointed. It's just the kind of thing your father would have done, silly fairy that he was. I'll need a bit of help, Auntie. I'm terribly rushed today, and I have a very, very tricky adventure before me, Chevrolet said. Hmm, well, I'll help however I can, of course, so... Well, so long as you're not up to anything dangerous, hmm? I've promised your mom and dad that I'd watch out for you, and I can't have you off wandering the great wastes of fairyland, gallivanting about on an empty stomach, getting up to who knows what... Chevrolet had to interrupt... I need a whisker from a full-grown lepteroth auntie, and I need it quick. Her auntie stopped her bustling around the kitchen and turned, her face getting redder and redder. She sputtered, oh, no, 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 no. A lepteroth's whisker? What? Well, better you'd said you'd like to feed yourself to a dragon, or maybe that you're trying to become a troll snack. What? Lepteroth's whiskers? No. No, 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 a thousand times no. Auntie Sorga's hands were planted firmly on her hips. She looked like a solid wall through which Chevrolet would never pass. Hum Artigan is trapped, Auntie, and it's really weird how it all happened, but the only way that I can free him is if I get a whisker from a full-grown lepteroth by tonight. Chevrolet answered calmly, standing now before her aunt. Oh, you and your dad always getting into trouble. I don't suppose I can stop you. <laughs> but don't forget what happened to him. Oh, I miss him and his siller, silly danger-hunting ways every day, Aunt Sorga said, relaxing, shoulders slumped, stepping aside. I miss him too, Auntie Chevrolet said, but I'm on the case, and i got to finish what I started. Aunt Sorga let out a big sigh and her beautiful pink wings pricked up a bit. Well then, Miss Glitterwing, the famous investigator, what can we do? Well, I'm going to need to borrow the flying carpet, the magic shears of shearing, and as many of your famous biscuits as I can fit into a bag. They bustled around the house. They rummaged through old trunks in the attic and through the heaps of clutter in the basement, and finally, everything was ready. The biscuits were still warm, even. The shears were polished and shining, and the carpet was unrolled and hovering excited over the front room. Chevrolet hugged her Aunt Sorga and hopped up onto the carpet. I'll be back by dinner time, she called, as the carpet sped away at a terrific speed, hurtling over the fields and forests towards the foothills and the limestone caves that 
was the home of the closest tribe of Lepturots. Chevrolet's plan was set. She was fairly certain that it would work. She was counting on Lepturots being greedy, hungry, and sneaky. But Lepturots were some of the most tricksy creatures in Fairyland. She would have to be very careful. She piloted the carpet to a stop, hovering a good ten feet up, circling above the big, messy clearing at the mouth of the Lepturoth caves. A few of the big, ugly creatures were lazing about in the clearing. She called down to them. Good afternoon, dear Lepturoth brothers and sisters. I have come in the hopes of trading. One of the Lepturoths lumbered to its feet. It had three horns on the crown of its head and a large one on its nose. Its voice was squeaky and rough. What do you want, floating fairy? Its nose twitched. I can smell. I can smell delicious biscuits that you do keep from us. Share your tasty treat, and then we can talk of trades. It said. The other Lepturoths nearby squeaked their approval. <laughs> That's what they do when they squeak. More Lepturoths were coming out of the clearing, curious at the hubbub and the voices that they heard. Their noses twitched, and soon many of them were squeaking for biscuits, just as Chevrolet had hoped. These biscuits are made by the greatest fairy baker in all of Fairyland. They are the most delicious biscuits that you could ever, ever possibly imagine. Dave, what are you doing over there, buddy? Sorry, go on with the story. Thank you. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. These biscuits are the most delicious biscuits that you could ever possibly imagine, Chevrolet said. She had even cast a small spell of imagination hoping that she hoped would drive the Lepturops crazy with desire for the warm, sweet-smelling biscuits that she had brought. It was working. A large Lepturops with five great horns on his head and his whiskers braided and waxed into great billowy curves silenced the crowd. He stood on his feet and called up to Chevrolet. Little floating one, you have biscuits? What is it you wish to trade for? What do you ask from the noble Lepterops? It asked in a loud voice. I need a whisker, Chevrolet said simply. Well, the cries of rage and dismay from the crowd of loud, stinky creatures below were immediate. The large Lepturoth finally quieted the crowd. Float your little rag down here, young trader, and then we can give you a whisker. <laughs> the crowd began to snicker and call their encouragement. I'm sorry, good Sir Lepturoth, Chevrolet said, remembering her manners. I will take a whisker from here and leave you this heavy, warm bag of biscuits from here as well, at a safe distance. Is that a deal? Floating one, you know that we Lepturoths are fond of our whiskers, the large painted Lepturoth called. Much more fond of whiskers than we are biscuits. Chevrolet was waiting for her moment. She could see out of the corner of her eye several Lepturoths climbing the trees nearby to her flying carpet. They were moving very quietly and sneakily. She pretended not to see them, but was ready with her shears of shearing in her lap. The large Lepturoth in the clearing was still talking, doing its best to keep her attention focused on him and not on the sneaky Lepturoths getting closer and closer to her carpet. But Chevrolet was an adventure-seeking, adventure-experienced investigator of magical mysteries. She was poised and ready. The sneaky Lepturoth to her right sprang towards the carpet and reached for the biscuits. She let it reach for the biscuits. 
The sneaky Lepdoroth to her left pounced and reached for the magic carpet, but that was not part of the deal. Chevrolet piloted the carpet just out of the Lepdoroth's reach. It squeaked in frustration as it was now unbalanced and teetering on the edge of the tree branch that it had been climbing. Chevrolet used that moment to strike. She called the command to her shears. One whisker, shears of shearing. Shear away! Shear away! Ho! And the sparkling silver scissors, the shears of shearing, in her lap, left to life, spinning through the air, whipping towards the ratty nose of the unbalanced left her off, and with one quick snap, they returned. One left her off's whisker in its closed the Lepteros let out a collective gasp. They began to cry out in anger and frustration as Chevrolet held up the snipped whisker and called out her thanks. Their dismay, however, quickly faded to joy, and the sounds, the very loud sounds of Lepteros feasting on fresh biscuits, as the biscuit-snatching Lepteros made its way back to the clearing with a full, warm bag. Chevrolet quickly flew off as the sounds of their happy squeaks and loud chompings on the tasty, tasty biscuits echoed in the clearing behind her. Chevrolet made it back to Auntie Sorga's just in time for dinner. The stew and the bread were, of course, fantastic. The salad was fresh from the garden, and the honey bars for dessert were Chevrolet's all-time Fairyland favorite. They talked about investigations and family and other Fairyland gossip for a good while, and then Chevrolet, always looking at the clock, pushed her chair back from the table. Oh, Auntie, it's time for me to get back. I have a very important spell to prepare and not much time left to prepare it. I understand, dearie, I understand, said Auntie Sorga, and she got up from the table. They went outside together, hugged goodbye, kissed cheeks in the fairy tradition. And then Chevrolet touched her finger to the knot on the old brimble tree in the yard. The trunk sparked, clouded, and then there, right through the trunk, she could see her room in the shop in Gus's junkyard. She waved and smiled to her aunt, and then stepped through, back to the human lands, to prepare the spell to save Hum Ardigan and solve the case of the library mystery. Listening to Benadavidu, KPCA FM. Thanks, all you Rivertown voices and Mr. Cooper for the station ID and the uh, show reminder. It's time to begin Chapter 7, the final chapter in our Chevrolet Glittering Library adventure. It was a dark night in Grimsford. The moon was gone, had waned itself to nothing, and everything was quiet. Chevrolet's ingredients were gathered, her bags were packed. She had read over the spell countless times. She had practiced the chant, had practiced the hand movements, had made sure that she knew the measurements for the circle of magic she would need for the casting. She was as prepared as she could possibly be. She got on her bike, checked all the straps and ties to make sure nothing would fall off on her ride to the library, and she pedaled away. It was 11 o'clock on the nose when she pulled up to the library. 
Mr. Hewell and Magnus were already there, inside, bustling around, getting things ready. Chevrolet tapped on the glass of the door. Mr. Hewell and Magnus came out, unlocked the door, and helped bring in all the spell supplies. Chevrolet walked around the carpeted area just under the big chandelier in the center of the library's row of bookshelves. She made sure she was facing west. She checked the clock. All of the details had been spelled out by Hummardigan's clues over the days, and she didn't want to get a teensy-weensy bit of it wrong. She took out her bag of fairyland granite dust, a heavy, solid connection to the magic lands that would anchor her spell and control the forces that she would be working with. With the dust, she drew a very precise circle on the carpet. It is very important that no one touch or disturb the circle. Got it, guys? Chevrolet asked Mr. Hewell and Magnus. Got it, said Magnus, taking a step back. Understood, said Mr. Hewell, watching in wonder and awe. Next, Chevrolet carefully set up her tripod, balancing her crucible on top. She whispered a few singing words to the crucible, and blue gold flames sprang to life, dancing around the blackened bronze edges of the bowl. Chevrolet then gathered the ingredients, set them close at hand, and readied the spell book. Uh, what do we do next? asked Magnus, sitting at a nearby library table. Mr. Hewell was pacing back and forth on the far side, watching Chevrolet's magical preparations and rubbing his hands nervously. Now, we wait for midnight, Chevrolet said. Then I cast the spell, and, if we got it all right, Hum Artigan is freed from his curse. The clock ticked slowly. Ten minutes left. Nine. Eight. Seven. Mr. Hewell's pacing was more intense. Magnus's head was nodding on his chest. He was snoring slightly. Six, five, four, three, almost ready. Mr. Hewell muttered under his breath, two, one, and then the clock struck midnight. Chevrolet began the gestures. She raised her wand over the crucible and traced the appropriate shapes in the air, finding the lines of energy that wove throughout the world just beyond the sight of most humans. As she pulled more and more energy together, she would, at very precise moments, add an ingredient to the crucible. The flames would rise and dance and change colors, and the magical energies would change focus and build and grow. The dust in the circle along the floor began to shine with the magical energy it was holding in its center. Chevrolet whirled her arms in a complex twist. Her voice was singing the words of the spell high and clear, and she dropped the last ingredient into the crucible. The whisker. There was a sound like 100 great church bells tolling all at once inside the library over the heads of the three investigators, followed by a flash of white light. A tall, glowing line appeared in the air between Chevrolet's circle and the goggle-eyed Mr. Hewell and the not-asleeping Lord Magnus. The glowing line started to widen, and they could see two hands, delicate, long-fingered hands, pushing the two sides wider, wider, and wider apart. The tall, glowing line was pushed wider until it was as tall and wide as a doorway, and then out stepped Hum Artigan. He was tall for an elf, but shorter than most humans, and he was wearing the flowing robes of the elven people. With belts and satchels crisscrossing his body, his hair was long and bright silver. His eyebrows were beautiful, shooting from above his bright green eyes like a pair of silver wings. His mustache and beard drooped and connected and hung to his waist. As he stepped fully into the library, the door of light snapped closed and with a bright pop, disappeared. The 
four figures of the library looked at each other in stunned silence for a moment. Magnus sitting at the table, Mr. Hewell opposite him, his jaw hanging open, his eyes wide and shining behind his spectacles. Chevrolet still stood inside the spell circle. She sagged in weariness and wiped a line of sweat from her forehead. Her Mardigan turned all the way around, silently gathering in his surroundings, stretching his legs, arms, fingers, and rolling his neck. The silence was broken with his bright, bubbling laugh. <laughs> what wild game we have played, young spellcaster, he said, his voice joyous. You read my clues, you found my spell, and you set me free. Ah, truly, you are a glittering young Chevrolet, the half-fairy. Yes, yes, you are known to me. What a feeling to be back in my body again. Yes, thank you from the bottom of my elven heart. And he approached the circle, crossed it, and took Chevrolet's hand, kissing it. Phew, breathed Chevrolet. You are most welcome, Mage's heart again, Chevrolet said, using the formal, appropriate greeting for a master wizard. I couldn't have done it, though, without my investigative team. This is Magnus Brindley, my investigation partner, and this is Mr. Hewell, the head librarian. Uh, yes, and, um, well, I'm sorry to say I'm... It was me, the reason for your, uh, recent predicament, indisposal, imprisonment, I think, yes. Uh, I'm so sorry, a thousand apologies, mages, art again. Mr. Hewell finally managed as he stood and approached the elf wizard. Hum Artigan turned towards him. Yes, yes, Samson Hewell, I recognize you. What a strange and wonderful spell you managed. Your love for books must be tremendous indeed to manage to pull me from my world and hurl me bodiless into the books of your library, Hum said. Turning towards Mr. Hewell, I'm sure I should be scolding you for mishandling magic in such a terrible way, but I can see that you are truly sorry. I forgive you. And he embraced Mr. Hewell in the way of the elves, fists to chests, forehead to forehead. Chevrolet handed the book to Hum that they had found. Here you are, Magus, your spellbook. Ah, thank you, Miss Glitterwing. Thank you. With this, I believe my time here in the human world, and especially in this library, can be done. For now, anyway. I hope I am not being rude if I bid you all good night. Not at all, yawned a very exhausted Chevrolet. Excuse me, excuse me. No, not at all, Major Sardigan. We're all a bit tired ourselves. Come visit me any time, dear investigator. I will be forever grateful to you for the very clever work you and your friends have done here. Until we meet again! And with a few sharp gestures of his hand and some crisp words, there was a glow of green light. It grew in brightness and outlined the body of Hum Artigan, growing brighter and brighter until it was too bright and the three investigators had to close their eyes. When they could open them again, there was a green shimmer in the air, but no elvish wizard. The three worked to clean up the library and collect Chevrolet's spellcasting improvements. Mr. Hewell locked up the library and yawning, they all said their goodnights and went their separate ways to sleep, the happy sleep of triumphant, clever investigators. The next morning at the breakfast table at Gus's junkyard, Gus dropped the front page of the Grimsford Courier, the local newspaper, in front of Chevrolet and her plate of eggs and sausages. Huh. My sweet girl, do you perhaps have a story for old Gus? This looks like maybe one of your adventures again. The headline read, Strange Sounds and Lights Seen and Heard at Grimsford Library. Chevrolet smiled. Ha! 
It's a pretty good story, Gus. I think I can just have time to fill you in before I have to get to school. You know how Miss Scolberts is about my being late? Gus laughed and sat down with his cup of dark, roasted coffee and cream. Ha! Yes, yes, I do. Now, a quick, a quick story to give my day a bit of flavor. And so, we end this story here as Chevrolet launches into a retelling of her latest adventure to Gus over breakfast as she tells the wonderful and happily solved mystery of the Grimsford Library. Any story that ends with a meal is probably a good story. There it is. You can hear it. It's the end of another episode. There's only one more radio show left for this iteration of Benedettiville Small Town Adventures. We'll see you next week for our best of and our fond thank you and farewell show. Um, I'd like to thank Mike and Julia and Dante and Marina and Valentino and Nico and Emmeline for helping out with the uh, wonderful guest work this week, and also to Rocco and Blue. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Coffee. I don't think we got to any other sponsors this week. Thanks to Cooper and the Rivertown Voices for helping us identify ourselves. Thanks to John and Rob down here at KPCA. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. Remember, this is Benedettiville, spelled B-E-N-E-D-E-T-T-I-V-I-L-L-E. And um, that's how you spell it if you need to know. And you, you can find our website, Benedettiville.com. You can send us an email, mail at Benedettiville.com, or you can drop us a line uh, to our P.O. Box. That's P.O. Box 336 in Petaluma. Oh, uh, 40 on 4th Street. So P.O. Box 336, 40 on 4th Street here in Petaluma, 94952. And, uh, we, yeah, we love getting in there. We're going to be doing a few live performances in February. One more time, that's going to be Saturday, February 9th at the Arlene Francis Center. And then Monday, February 25th. Uh, and I forget the name of the venue right now. That's not very helpful to anybody. I'll tell you next week. Thank you, guys. Have a lovely extended weekend. And we'll see you next week. So long. So long.